Um, I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Micah chapter 6. Micah 6, feel free to use your table of contents uh, if you need. Micah is a, a prophet, and the way the Bible is divided up, you have the Old Testament, New Testament. The Old Testament begins with the Pentateuch, and then into some poetry, and then you find yourself into the prophets, Micah of which is one. We're going to be in Micah chapter 6, and as you're turning there, I just want to a highlight, uh, one of the things Jacob mentioned, tomorrow we're kicking off 40 days of prayer at Scarlet City, and I and others will be uh, walking through this. And I want to invite you to consider joining us. Um, and there will be devotionals. You can sign up at prayforcolumbus.org, and you will be emailed a daily devotional. And so join us uh, in this opportunity for four days of prayer uh, for our city. I'm going to read our passage. It's Micah 6, verses 6 to 8. Begin in verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God for the people of God. We're beginning this new year with a sermon series looking at how our faith shapes our everyday, everyday, ordinary moments of life. And we began last week in this passage in Micah 6. And uh, you may be confused at the beginning of it. There's this question and the people of God put before God. And in the context in which Micah is writing, the people of God have wandered from him, and they have become motivated by self-preservation. And rather than caring for the poor and loving people and loving God, they've loved themselves. And so God has announced judgment on his people. And then the people of God respond to this declaration of judgment from God with this rhetorical, these rhetorical questions to God. Look at what they say. They say, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with with calves a year old? Will the Lord be blessed with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I sacrifice my firstborn for my transgression? Is that what God wants? Now, anytime you find yourself in a place of judgment, of doing something wrong, there's different attitudes and perspectives you can bring to that occasion. I remember one time when I was younger, my brother and I, we didn't fight that much, but when we did, it was an epic battle. I remember one time my family, we were on vacation, and I was angry at my brother Chris, and so he was running away, and I was running after him, and I pushed him as hard as I could right into a sink, and he busted his head open, and blood's going everywhere, and that moment of panic as my parents enter into the room, and and my posture right there is, I'm so sorry. I will do anything. What can I do to make this right? I will clean my room for a year. Just please let me live. And then there are moments when my parents come to me when maybe I did something I didn't think was quite as wrong. And my questions to my parents were something of like, clean my room? I mean, what do you want from me, mom and dad? Is it not enough that I clean my bedroom once a month? I mean, is this, does my room constantly have to be clean? You know what it's like to come before God? And in a sense, this is what the people of God, they're asking, looking to God. They're like, what do you want, God? 
Haven't we done enough? Do you require all of this sacrifice, rivers of oil, thousands of rams? Should we sacrifice our firstborn God? Is that what you're asking? Is that what you want from us? Do you ever relate to God like that? You come to God and you're like, God, what are you requiring? I, I attend church on Sunday. I mean, what do, you, what do you want? You want me to live at church? Should I bring my pillow and pajamas and bed and just live there all the time? Is that what you want, God? God, what do you want? I mean, I give some money. I tithe when I can. Do you want all of my money, God? Should I go in debt and just give it all away? Is that what you're asking for, God? God, do you want me to serve? I mean, is it not enough that I do acts of kindness when I can? Are you asking me to serve in every respect? Should I just quit my job and move into a poor part of town and do everything I can? Is that what you're asking, God? What are you requiring of me, God? Can you relate to that? Feeling the burden of following God and wondering what is God asking of you? And it's interesting because what is God, how does God respond? He says, you know what the Lord requires. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Last week we talked about the invitation that God puts forth, an invitation to walk with him, an invitation into intimacy, an invitation to join him in his pace of life, and an intimacy onto renewed purpose and mission. And part of that renewed purpose and mission is reflected in acting justly, in doing justice, in loving mercy. And so this morning, we want to look at how do we live out justice in everyday, ordinary moments. Everyday justice, what does this look like? I think there's two things I want to share as we hop in. First, it is tempting, but I will refrain. The Bible has so much to say about justice. We will only scratch the surface. We will only scratch the surface on this subject. And so I want to invite you and encourage everyone to make everyday justice a part of everyday learning. You commit to being a learner and read and study and engage God's word and resources to grow and learn the subject. And also, I want to refrain, as we talk about everyday justice, from telling you what to do. There is this temptation a lot of times pastors feel uh, that we need to tell everyone exactly what to do as if we're God. But one of the things we learn in walking with God humbly is that God walks with all of us in unique and very particular ways. And so even as we press into some of the concrete ways we can live this out, I want to invite you to wrestle with God yourself. What does it look like for you to engage justice in the everyday, ordinary moments of life? And so let's look. How to engage justice every day. The first thing we need to acknowledge when we think of walking with God in everyday justice is that everyday justice requires understanding biblical justice. When we think of walking into justice, bringing our whole selves, we must bring our minds. There are things we need to learn, perspectives we need to have. And we come and we ask, what is the biblical perspective of justice? Because I see a problem today, and it's that a lot of the time, much of our expressions of justice are reactionary. They're impulsive. And so often we perpetuate injustice when we, when we do not bring our mind to really address the issues. We must bring our mind. You know, a number of years ago, some of you may have heard this story, but when I was in high school, I 
you know, I have this tendency to act impulsively. I'm like an action-oriented person, so sometimes I'll just jump in to something before really thinking about it. The adage, you need to measure twice and cut once. Sometimes I don't even measure. I just start cutting, and it drives people who know me crazy. And one example of this was when I was in high school. I was out in the country. I lived in Wilmington, Ohio, this rural community about an hour south of here. I lived in Wilmington, and I was with some friends out in the country, and one night I was just like, you know, I'm just going to walk back into town. A few miles out, like, I'm just going to walk back. And so I just start walking. I don't know which direction I'm thinking, all right, that seems right. So I just start walking, thinking I'll end up in town. And a few hours later, I'm thinking, why am I not back in Wilmington? Where am I? And I find a gas station. I go in and ask the clerk, and she's like, no, Wilmington is eight miles that way. I have been walking in the wrong direction for hours. I mean, that's ridiculous. Who would set out on a journey and not know exactly where they're going? You know, many of us respond to issues of our day much that way. We're impulsive. We want to act. We head in a direction before considering where we're even going and how we're going to get there. You know, if we're going to walk with God, we're going to walk with God to address injustices in our world. We need to bring our mind. We need to understand and acknowledge and submit to God's perspective. And so what is it? I mean, in verse eight, Micah, God responds to his people. He says, he, God, has told you, oh man, what is good. See, the people of God, they were responding with these rhetorical questions. Does God want all of these sacrifices? Is that what you want, God? And God's like, you know, I've told you. This is not some unclear biblical teaching. I've told you what to do, what is good, to do justice and love mercy. Biblical justice is a central theme and component of the Bible. It is all throughout the Bible. From the beginning in the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first few books of the Bible, it is central to the poetic portions of the Bible. It is central to the prophets. It is central to Jesus. It is central to the church. A few examples. As we engage our minds, as we submit to God's perspective on justice, a few examples. In Deuteronomy, it says, God, speaking of God, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. In Psalms, puts it this way, God is who executes justice for the oppressed, who, li- who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners, but upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. See this theme here of God connecting justice to care for those in need? Proverbs 14. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. In Zechariah, another prophet, it's put this way. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. All throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, justice is central. These are just a few examples. Justice is central to Jesus. In one particular area, he's addressing the Pharisees, and he's calling them hypocrites. And he puts it this way in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. What are some observations we can make from these biblical texts about justice? First is this. Justice is giving people, creating the image of God, what they are due. It is giving people what they are due. Prosecution and protection. A lot of times when we think of justice, we merely think of prosecution. But in the Bible, it's deeper. It's seeing every single person as someone created in the image of God and owed protection and care. And one of the beauties of this, I mean, as we've seen over and over, repeated, God connects justice to protecting the widow, the fatherless, to protecting, to protecting the marginalized, to protecting those who the power structures of the world do not often protect. God takes up their cause. The widows, the fatherless, the sojourners, the refugees, the immigrants, those who the systems of this world often abuse. And this is amazing. Because no other God is like this. When you look at the ancient Near East and the other gods that people at this time worshipped, those gods represented their power by being connected to the rich. And Yahweh does the opposite. He says, rather than seeing me as having power because I'm connected to people of power, see me as having power, giving it up for those who cannot protect themselves. Justice isn't just about persecution or about prosecution. It is about protection. It begins with seeing every single person as someone created in the image of God and worthy of our care and love. Also, we learn here that justice is a reflection of God's character. Justice is an overflow of who God is. He is a just God. And I want to press some of us on this. Because today, if you are passionate about social justice, if you're passionate about justice issues, you need to be passionate about God. If you have no God, then who is the ultimate judge? And whose character determines what others should conform to? If you're passionate about social justice, you need to be passionate about God. I find it a bit ironic that in today's age, often God is seen as an advocate, or I'm sorry, God is seen as an adversary to, to justice rather than an advocate of it. If you're about social justice, you need to trace that story back. And if you trace it back, you will find it traced back to the God of the Bible. And many of the, the people who uh, brought social justice into the world, they were shaped by the gospel. Martin Luther King Jr. was a preacher. And his faith shaped his work to bring justice. In his famous speech, the, Amer the American Dream, listen to how he puts it. He says, the whole concept of the Imago Dei, that is the image of God, the whole concept of the Imago Dei is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they have substantial, substantial unity with God, but that every man has the capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him uniqueness. There are no gradations in the image of God. 
Every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard, precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day we will learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. And listen to this. This is why we must fight segregation with all of our nonviolent might. This is why we must address injustice. Because God is our creator. And because justice is an overflow of God's character. Justice is God's idea. It is a reflection of who he is. And this brings us to our third point here. Justice is executed by God's people personally and socially. You see, if you want to be about social justice, you will be about God. And if you want to be about God, you will be about justice. He, uh, it's repeated in our passages. He execute just, executes justice. How is God going to do that? How is God going to bring justice in this world? It is through his people. The nation of Israel were to, was to reflect God's character, to reflect God's love in the world. And the church is to reflect God's character and love today. If you're passionate about God, you'll be passionate about justice. But you see, there's a temptation as God's people to respond to God, to want God to fit our paradigm rather than we fitting God's. We see this in how the people of God were responding to Micah. They wanted to relate to God by just bringing sacrifices, to just appease God, so we'll let them go. We see this in the Pharisees and the scribes. That's why Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe, you do these outward expressions of worship. But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You want to put on a show, is what Jesus is saying. You want everyone to look at you and be very impressed. And you've missed what God desires. You've missed the whole point of it all. You see, God wants to take your resources and channel it to bless those in need. Jesus brings justice in the world through his people, both personally and socially. If there's anything you see here, you need to know this, that justice is at the center of God's plan for his people, and justice is expressed through worship, giving our whole selves to God. This is what we know. This is what we learn. We engage in justice. We're not just reacting in the world, but we have a biblically shaped perspective of how we live. But it's not just enough to know. You know, knowing will only get you so far. You must believe. Your heart must be shaped by the gospel. What we see next is that everyday justice requires personally embracing God's grace every day. You see, the question I want to put before you here is this. What motivates you to do justice? What is your motivation? Why? Why do it? And many of us today are motivated by pride, this smugness, this feeling that I am better than others because I do good deeds, this desire to promote ourselves, much like the Pharisees, 
We want to put on external action so people will be really impressed by us. We bring the smugness. And often when we do this, we perpetuate injustice. Because we're not really loving people, we're using them. We're using people to prop ourselves up. Uh, Another motivation for many of us is fear and guilt. There's this fear that if we don't do this, God won't accept us. If we don't do this, we won't be accepted by our peers. And so we're motivated not to love others, but again to use them to get rid of this guilt that we have. The problem with pride and guilt is it only lasts you so far. Because at the end of the day, it's really about you. And if you're going to be about justice in the everyday and the long term, there's a you that needs to be lost to to a degree. What God invites us to is the gospel. What does it look like for the gospel, God's love for you to be your motivation? Again, in the text, they ask the question, with what shall I come before the Lord? How can I be accepted by God? What is God's desire for me? Paul is writing about this in Romans 3. Listen to what he says, Romans 3, verses 23 to 25. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone. Everyone has sinned and fall short. And are justified, that is, they are declared righteous, they are made right with God by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a covering by his blood, to be received by faith. Now, this is a pivotal passage. What what Paul is unpacking for us is a few things, and it humbles us as we read it. First, he says, for all have sinned. Everyone. Everyone has sinned. All people. Not just some. Not just some have sinned. All have sinned. It's not just Donald Trump who sinned. It's not just the person representing the political party that you don't, Identify with who sinned. All have sinned. And that means you. And that means me. And it means when we come to conversations about addressing injustices, we must acknowledge the injustices that we've brought. And it means that we humble ourselves and we come in debt to God. That's why Paul continues, he says, we, have, we are justified by his grace as a gift. You are not made right with God by all your actions. We come humbly in need of his grace. We all are in need. We all are broken. We all come to the conversation indebted to God. And when we understand our brokenness, when we understand our need of the gracious gift of Jesus Christ and his covering, now we relate with other people in a whole new light. Brian Stevenson, an American lawyer who started the Equal Justice Initiative and author of a great book titled Just Mercy, I highly recommend it, Just Mercy. He puts it this way. He says, there is a strength, a power even, in understanding brokenness because embracing our brokenness creates a need and desire for mercy, and perhaps a corresponding need to show mercy. When you experience mercy, you learn things that are hard to learn otherwise. You see things you can't otherwise see. You hear things you can't otherwise hear. You begin to recognize the humanity that resides in each of us. I love that. 
the strength of brokenness, the power of seeing your need for mercy. What does this look like? What does this look like for you? I think it means every day, every day, we need mercy. Every day. In fact, turn to the person to your right and say, I need mercy. Turn to the person to your left. I know they're not going to be listening to you because they're talking to the other person, but turn to the other person on your left and say, I need mercy. Every day. Every day. Every day I need mercy. Every day. And every day God extends it through his son. Every day we can experience grace. As we think about actions, as we think about what we need to do, doing justice, it begins right there. Every day, waking up, resting in God's grace, receiving his mercy, acknowledging that we enter into the world, the power of our brokenness. We see walking with God in justice every day means knowing biblical justice. It means receiving grace. And lastly, it means expressing God's justice, expressing it, living it out. Again, we're asking, what do you want, God? What do you want? Do you want all these acts of worship? What do you desire? And God invites us into a walk, into an everyday living. And justice must be lived this way. It must be a routine. What are the routines that you do every day? What are some things you do? Uh, hopefully sleep every day. Uh, hopefully on some measure work. Most days of the week you have a job, you work. Every day you should eat a meal. These are rhythms of life. Every day possibly pray. Every day communicate with someone, speak. And every day live justly. Every day. It means a, an intentionality to it. A recognition that justice, living justice, isn't just going to happen. But living justice means we are intentional to building rhythms into our life to bring about justice. Just like we wouldn't miss a meal. Just like we hunger to eat. When God's grace begins to shape our life, there is a hunger to love and care for those in need. And so what does this look like to express this? A few ways, again, I am not here to tell you what to do. I want to invite you into the journey of walking with God into this, but a few things to consider of everyday justice expressed. The first, expressing justice through relational kindness. It, the prophet, he puts it, he says, love, kindness. And the term here for kindness is, is chesed. And it means mercy. When it speaks of God, it's God's faithfulness to his covenant, his love, and when it speaks to his people, it means that we embody love for people. We love kindness and mercy. We relate to people, everyone, as someone created in God's image. And so we see people this way. Jesus, he, Jesus put, always puts it so well. Speaking to his disciples, he says, when you have a dinner, who are you going to invite? Who's coming to your dinner? When you throw a party, who are you inviting? He says, do not invite just your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors like that. Don't just invite the rich, your rich neighbors, not just your neighbors. 
not just your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you and return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, and the blind. He's saying, listen, everybody just invites their friends and the wealthy because it's about them. Justice must always be expressed through relationships. Who's around your table? Who do you invite into your life? Who, do you, who are you in proximity with? Is justice just a project? Justice must begin with relationship. It means how we communicate, how we listen, how we engage any person. I mean, imagine, if you will, again, Jesus is casting for us a new vision, a new way of relating. Don't just invite the rich and powerful into your life. You know, we, need to, we need to consider how does God see people and try to see them in that way. If you're uh, going to a coffee shop and you happen to walk in and right before your eyes is Justin Bieber. And you're, what would a Bieberite be? Is that what they're called, a Bieberite? I don't even know. A Bieber worshiper. And there he is, right there. And your, your wall is covered with Bieber posters. And a lot of you are thinking, that's ridiculous. I don't care about Justin Bieber. Imagine it's Urban Meyer, right there. A seat right next to him. Now, how do you respond when you see someone famous? Some of, see, I'm really, I, don't, I try to play it cool. You know, I kind of look, you know, but I'll walk over here and pretend like I don't know who they are. If Urban Meyer walked up to me, he'd be like, oh, hi, who are you? Oh, er, yeah, maybe, maybe I've heard of you before. I want to play it cool, but really inside, I just want to, you know, give him a hug. And, and then I'll go and tell all my friends that Urban Meyer wants to be my friend. You know, how do you see someone famous, someone powerful? And then when you walk into the coffee shop and maybe you see someone poor. And rather than being drawn to them, rather than walking to them, rather than wanting to sit by them, you want to walk a little further away. You know, when God sees people, he sees the poor person just like he would see anybody else. God's perspective is so different than the way our social structures have taught us to see people. You see, we want to see people just as a means of our accumulation of power. God says, no, see people as opportunities to use your influence and power to care. Justice begins with relationship, relational kindness, but also we see justice is extended through generosity. Through generosity. Again, as we've mentioned, you know, God's people, they come, what does God require? God, can I give you everything? Is that what you want? If I give you all my food, all of this, and God says, no, you bring it all, and I'm going to channel it to those in need. You see, God blesses his people so that they will be a blessing. How are you leveraging your resources, your power, your money, your time, your gifts, to care for the vulnerable. How is generosity reflected in your time? How is generosity reflected in who's around your table? How is generosity reflected in your bank account? How are you providing relief for those in need? Generosity. 
Another way it is expressed is through social reform. You know, justice acknowledges that there's a personal responsibility, that I must care for people relationally, that I must be generous with my resources, but also it seeks to address some of the social injustices. It acknowledges that sin doesn't just fracture us personally with God, but sin fractures our whole communities. And I want to encourage you to consider adopting at least one cause, to become an expert in that cause, to learn about that cause, and to invest your resources and time and passions to address that social cause. We cannot do everything. You can't do everything, but consider investing in one cause socially. There's a number of opportunities and examples. Maybe, maybe it's abortion and the rights of the unborn. And that is an issue that you want to learn about, be passionate about, to understand all that it encompasses, including caring for women that find themselves in that place. And maybe it's a protecting women. The Me Too movement is a great opportunity for us to consider how we're protecting women. Maybe it's racial reconciliation and growing to understand the issues at the core of this, the complexities of it, and how you can leverage your resources to bring healing in this area. Maybe it's poverty, the legal justice system, caring for refugees and immigrants. What are the what are the social injustices at work today? And will you consider investing your life in them? And lastly, and as we close, how to express this every day. Be about empowering people. Develop people. We're not just, you're not just here to put people in a place of dependency on you. We're here to lift people up to empower people to lead. This means we need to be about community development. It means we enter into neighborhoods, enter into people's lives, and we put ourselves in a posture as a learner, asking questions. What are your needs? How can I help you? But also, how can you help me? Again, it comes to relationship. Putting ourselves in a place where we care for people, we empower people, we invite them to shape our lives just like we want to shape them. And so, as we close, what does God want? Again, this question, what does God want? To do justice. To live holistically in justice. To grow to understand, to engage with our minds, what is God's desire for the world? To engage with our hearts that we are shaped by God's grace extended to us, and that that is led and expressed in our hands as we grow to meet the practical needs of our communities, city, and world through everyday, tangible actions. How does God want to empower you to bring justice in his world? Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege that you invite us into your work, that you have, that we just don't minister from afar and on the sidelines, and that you have not called us to relate to you just by engaging your word and learning things about you, but you transform us and you send us into the world to be good news. 
May your character, your justice, your love, your grace be embodied in our lives personally. May it be embodied in this local church. And may it be embodied in your church in Columbus, our country, and around the world. God, we acknowledge that apart from your strength, we cannot do this. We are in need. We are in need. And sometimes it feels like we have nothing to offer, and, and what we do makes no difference. Lord, remind us of your vision. Remind us of the opportunity that every single person presents us. An opportunity to care. An opportunity to serve. An opportunity to learn from them. An opportunity to bring justice. Give us the courage. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.